Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 22. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Today's episode is a discussion that I recently had with my co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez. Today's episode is entitled, Living Obediently Without Being Under the Law. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope will inspire you to have similar conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. I was reading a, a political article about uh, uh, the need for uh, proper form in, in legal writings and whatnot because we derive our, our rights from the law, mm. even though we claim that our rights are inherent or that it come from a higher power uh, uh, in terms of uh, as a country. But we derive the specificity, the power of those rights within the law because it enumerates, well, this is what you have a right to do and this is thus mm-hmm. not and so on and so forth. And having it enumerated so, having having our rights empowered by the law then encourages us and entices us to pursue those rights because they are so laid out just so. They're enumerated exactly the way you want to do it. And so you know exactly where that boundary is between what you should and shouldn't be allowed and you know exactly when somebody is crossing into that territory of suddenly you know, you're encroaching on my rights. And it just occurred to me that that's yet another reason why the law, uh, spiritually speaking, the law of Moses, is inferior to Christ, and yet we attempt to bring legal form and legalese into the church. But one of those weaknesses that it has is when we enumerate our freedoms in Christ in a legal matter, mm-hmm. it then encourages us to pursue our rights against each other, which is not what Christianity is about. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, and I, and I think if this is right in the same vein, is that you know when, when God said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it was more about restricting retaliation. It was more about if somebody takes an eye, then the worst punishment that they can receive is the loss of an eye. Um, And you cannot one-up them, which is our tendency to do. Our tendency is as human beings that, you know, my, my boys, when they're wrestling or they're fighting and someone you know, scratches one, the next one will bite the other and they'll pull the other hair until, you know, it's just a knockdown drag out. And that's our tendency is to retaliate in in one up worse type of a of a attitude or behavior. Um but but instead of seeing that law as a restriction to say you you can't go beyond this, instead they got to the point where it's my right, it's my right to retaliate. And Jesus says, no, no, don't retaliate. Leave it up to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, you know, and that kind of thing. So Jesus and his apostles teach that even if you have the right to retaliate, don't leave that to the Lord. And so um, yeah, when we when our rights are enumerated, it entices us, like you said, to chase after those things and to uh, want to make the most of them rather than to sacrifice our rights for the good of others. And yet, a lot of it comes down to our understanding of the laws that have been given to a certain extent as being laws of a physical nature versus a spiritual nature. Um, Because when God gave his law, he gave his law, and if you really looked at it in the sense of what what it is, to a certain degree, what God is trying to do is show people, like, this is how you should love me. This is how you should love each other. And this is how you should love people outside of the Israelite people. This is how you should treat everybody. This is how you should do all these different things. And it's 
and if you don't digest it into your heart, in a sense, um, and which is a visual uh, that God gives His people throughout the Scriptures, but if you don't digest it into your heart, then you can't live it like that. But but so many times we see these these lists of things that we should do, and we we make them physical things, and we're more concerned about the the list and the the action and the and all these different things rather than applying it to our our hearts and how we how we live that out. I, I think I would speak fairly for a lot of Christians in that we get very frustrated with the fact that so little of Christian living is enumerated in mm-hmm. such ways. It's it's very simplified. It's love your neighbor. It's love the Lord your God. You know, it's justice, mercy, kindness, and submission. As you were talking about from Micah this morning, and and what we want is we want it broken down into legal terms Mm -hmm. so that we can put boundaries around it and we can say, okay, this is how far I have to go, no farther. This is how far he can go, no farther. And and we want, because what we want to do is contain our responsibilities and know the boundaries of of our abilities. Okay, so what's the furthest I can reach? You know, if if I'm owed an eye, I want an eye kind Mm -hmm. of a situation. But it's deliberately set up so that it's not enumerated in those ways. That's why the law was a tutor to evil, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Christianity is not set up that way. The replacement for the law is, no, you understand how God wants you to be, so be that way, and be that way to the fullest extent. Mm-hmm. You know, and we like to put up, like you said, boundaries. We like to uh, put guardrails up to a certain degree, and what eventually happens with those is those become our law, which God doesn't give us. He mm-hmm. gave He gave us the he gave us Jesus' teachings, which are again they're they they're like pulled back from the law and said like this is really what the law is trying to teach you these principles and this this stuff and we want to have application specific ways to apply it and say okay so I'm not supposed to go touch that fruit so I'll put a fence around the fruit so I don't have to go so I can't go near it. it's like no that's not what it is it's you've got to make your heart not even want that fruit you mm-hmm. want to obey god so much that that fruit isn't even you don't need a fence mm-hmm. because you're not stupid enough to walk across and, and and actually touch and eat the fruit and see and i and i think that this is where we have we've fallen down on this is my personal opinion we've fallen down on the teaching of the role of the holy spirit in the life of the christian because it it's not it, it it's not a teaching that is as um fanciful as as some would want it to be you know it's it's nothing that's that's spectacular it's ordinary it's every day it's that god has sent his spirit into our hearts to change the way that we see everything to change the way that we live to change the way we see sin and righteousness and so paul says listen and that's what so much of paul's teaching is about is that if you try to and he's specifically talking about the law of moses about the torah but but there's even application, I would say, to like what you're saying, James, those those rules that we establish that are good rules, that, that there's nothing wrong with those boundaries that say, hey, you probably shouldn't do this, you probably shouldn't do that, and we make those things into rules. And so Paul says, but listen, if you live your life as a rule keeper, if, you, if it's all about keeping the letter of the law, if it's all about, you know, this checklist type of a religion, well, then that is going to produce in your life the same fruit as living by the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to produce envy, and it's going to produce strife. 
strife and it's going to produce uh, backbiting and 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 violence and all of these things and can't we see that that's exactly what happens we see that in the religious world we see that in the church that that when we I see that in my own life that when I live my life by a checklist of rules it makes me feel better than other people it makes me feel superior to other people we talked about that so many times as opposed to that Paul says no, don't live that way. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And and we know who the Spirit is and what the Spirit would have us to do by what has been revealed to us in the pages of the New Testament through the apostles and through the old law, for that matter. And so we read those things and we allow the Spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives, on our minds, and what is produced is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I think the last part there that we don't often talk about, he says, against such things, there is no law. You're not going to be breaking a law of God or a law of man if you walk by the Spirit. You don't have anything to worry about because I think the the accusation against Paul was always, well, are you saying people can just do whatever they want? And Paul says, no, of course not. You walk according to the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to violate any law of God. See, that's what's so fascinating about uh, how limited our, our study of the Scripture really is. Because right now, the popular condemnation of Paul, the popular excuse for ignoring so much of what he wrote, which is vast swaths of Scripture, mm-hmm. is because he's, he's too uptight. Mm-hmm. He's too, don't do this, don't do that. He, well, and you know, Paul didn't like women, and he didn't like this, and blah, 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 blah. All these excuses we have for ignoring Paul, when the beef against him at the time he was actively uh, uh, preaching for the Lord as an apostle was, oh, you're too loose, Paul. you you got to be getting this stuff down. you got to batten down the hatches. And his, his answer is, no, do everything for the love of God. And that's what his message to us is today. And it, we're just finding the opposite side of the coin that says, I don't want to do what God wants to do. And so there it is. And isn't that amazing that that now, if, if let, let's let's use a, a real life example, I, I honestly believe and, and I would teach all day long that I think Christian people ought to stay away from alcohol. That, that, that is my view based on everything I see in Scripture and my own experience, for that matter. Um, I think Christian people ought to stay away from alcohol. Um, but if I were to argue um, with some brethren and say my position is that we should stay away from alcohol and, and one of the primary arguments against it is our love for other people, that I love my brethren too much to be a stumbling block to them. I love the world too much to allow them to think that it's okay to be a drunkard and so I'm just going to you know uh, join them in that. I love people too much uh, to do that. Jesus died for these people and I don't want to give that impression to people. People say, well, that's a weak argument, Wes. You need to, you need to you know, look at the Greek and you need to do this and this and this. And, and, and I would say that's exactly the way Paul argued things. He had better arguments against food sacrifice to idols than just love for your brethren, but that's where he started. And that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough of an argument that it settles almost every matter that we would disagree about. And so, you know, maybe it's maybe it's instrumental music, or maybe it's choirs, or maybe it's clapping, or maybe it's whatever. I mean, if, if these things come up, the primary thing that we ought to at least start with is love for our brethren and say, okay, 
is this, has this proven to be divisive? Has the instrument proven to be a divisive thing in churches? Yes, absolutely. Historically, we could say for hundreds of years, it's proven to be divisive. Right, exactly. (laughs) And so why in the world would anyone who loves their brethren want to divide? Why would they? And, And say, well, that's a weak argument. No, no, love is the primary argument that is that is the summing up of the law and the prophets the unity of the the body i mean what is the body if it's not unified it's not a body mm-hmm. i mean how can we how can we think that uh, it, it's again not to say that the discussion and the 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 um, debate over those things is something that we just blow off as if right. it's nothing important it's the attitude that we go to these kinds of things with everything that we deal with um, when it comes to anything we, we start off with that attitude of I'm going to love my brother whether or not he loves loves me back uh, if he wants to treat me with disrespect that's fine I'm still gonna be his brother because I I mean what it, if you take the example of Jesus if we took if we took everything and said, "Well, they're not gonna, they're not gonna agree with me. They're not gonna listen to me. So I'm just, I'm just gonna blow them off." Well, if that had happened with Jesus, he would never have come to Earth in the first place. We would have all been destroyed, all condemned to hell forever, and never had the opportunity for mercy. And and it's like, well, but that's Jesus. It's like, well, that doesn't matter. Jesus called us to be like him. We can't just blow other people off. We can't just turn our backs on on mercy and love. Just because, um, well, that's hard and that's that's difficult, but Jesus did it too, and he calls us to be like him. Well, let's not forget that we, the reason we end up with such a strong temptation and, and most of the time follow through on this desire to enumerate the do's and the don'ts of the in, within the freedom of Christ, uh, that's how churches end up with creeds and mm-hmm. models and all, all manner of other things. But even if they're just things that we hold unto ourselves and and have that dangerous situation where we end up defending the guardrails instead of the, the thing that mm-hmm. needed defense, is we do these things usually out of a positive idea. Mm-hmm. We want to positively encourage what needs to be done. It's like, well... And the example that sticks in my mind, and, it, and it's so silly, but at the same, and, and well, it's not silly, it's mundane, but it, it enumerates perfectly what we're talking about here, is when between a husband and wife, we set up whose responsibilities are what. And it's, well, the wife's responsibilities are going to be in the home, and the man's responsibilities are going to be outside, and and we do that out of a desire for positive effort. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a desire so that no one thing gets all done, and then the rest of it doesn't get done. But then what ends up happening is we end up with that situation where, well, I got up early and I got done all the stuff that I was responsible for, and there's my wife, and she, you know, needs some help in mm-hmm. the kitchen, and I have that little twinge of justification in my mind that says, well, but we we divided up what needed to be done, and mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got up and I mowed the lawn this morning, so I don't need to go in there and help my wife do the dishes. And I'm, I'm using that example because I did it myself. And it was an idea that came from a positive place, mm-hmm. but it ended up giving me temptation. It ended up giving me bad fruit. Instead of just looking at it as there's work to be done, here am I, send me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's funny. Sometimes we like to set up, like we've said, these guardrails and these fences, and then we like to stare over the fence and be like, wow, <laughs> I really, I, as long as I don't cross the fence, I'm okay. 
But it's, again, where is our heart? I mean, you can set up a fence, but but the, the point of the fence is just to tell you, right, I don't belong over there. My God is over here. He doesn't want me over there. So I lovingly, joyfully, happily will not even consider going on the other side of that fence. Mm-hmm. Not walking over to the fence and saying, hey, that fruit looks really good. Hey, that whatever that is, I want that. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you know what? I put up that fence for a reason, and it's because I want to to please God. I want I desire to to glorify Him, and so I'm going. I see that fence, and I'm going to walk the other way because I want to do whatever it is to please God, um, instead of setting up a fence for the purpose of that fence and then longing for what's on the other side. And isn't all of this exactly what Paul talked about in Romans to say that? Um, you know, the law wasn't bad. It was good. And the law said, don't covet. But in saying don't covet, well, that enticed me to covet. And, you know, it, and the same would be true in the Garden of Eden. You know, and I mean, that that law was a good law. It was there for our benefit. Yet the because of the sin, because of the rebelliousness in our heart, and that's what Paul says. Paul says, it wasn't me. It was the sin that was in me that enticed me because of the law, spurred on by the law, it caused me to sin. And and what the Spirit of God does is he He changes that. He, he, he comes in and he changes our heart so that that sin is taken away, so that the law itself is taken away, and so that we can serve God out of a freedom. And how much better is that in any relationship? relationship where if 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 we do the dishes and our wife says thank you and we say well that was our arrangement i'm just doing this because i was supposed to that was my job i don't know why you're thanking me i i had to do this you know whereas if it's not our job and that law is taken away and there's no more law and i do it then she says wow you served me you 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 did this thing yes i did i didn't have to and i did it and that's and that's where and but that's scary it's like well then how do you have a relationship without that structure there and paul says there is that structure there because we have the spirit of god and we know what god's will is and you can't be in this covenant relationship unless you surrender yourself to him if you go back to sinning as you were before then you're not you're there is no more sacrifice left for sins this relationship and this covenant is only for those who are dead to self who are dead to their carnal nature if we're and that's the thing that's what's so scary about the way that we quote unquote do christianity now is and for half for hundreds for thousands of years almost is that we have made it such a rule based thing that we we don't even really understand the glory of of doing things because we love the Lord our God. I mean, if somebody said, thank you for being at worship today, and they said, well, why are you thanking me? I'm supposed to be here. I have to be here. I'm here because I'm obligated to be. It's like, wow, that just takes the whole joy out of it. I mean, we ought to be here. Do we? And then somebody says, well, Wes, what are you trying to say? Are you trying to say we don't have to be? I'm trying to say that in a relationship, I don't come to the dinner table because I have to. I come to the dinner table because I love my wife. I come to the dinner table because I love my family. And and Jesus and what he does at the cross and the spirit coming into our lives changes everything. It changes why we do what we do. Do we still live good lives? Yes. And Paul says, listen, I wasn't living a good life before. I was struggling against sin before. Now, now everything's been changed. We're so bound by our our ridiculous desire to have objective rationale behind everything that we do because the only motivations that we trust are the ones that are secularly compelled. 
in all honesty, Mm -hmm. because we concoct these goofy ideas that if something is motivated by love rather than obligation, that it's somehow suspect Mm -hmm. or that it somehow doesn't carry with it a responsibility. And you say, no, I need, I must do these things. They are, in fact, required of me, and it is required of me to do them from the compulsion of my own love, mm-hmm. not from some kind of outside compulsion, not from yeah. guilt, not from being strong-armed or twisted or anything like that. But we we want to concoct it in our head that, well, if you're doing it out of love, then you're saying that it's not actually required. Mm-hmm. Nonsense. Of course it's required, mm-hmm. but it has to be done from love. Mm-hmm. And it's even a greater responsibility. It is a greater responsibility than I that I have to my wife than, than the responsibility I have to my neighbor that I'm obligated by law to carry out. You know, so if the law says, hey, before you change your fence, you have to talk to your neighbor about it. Well, man, I, I'm going to try to get around that or try to bend that as much as I can. And so I'm going to I'm going to minimize that responsibility. And we always do. That's what law does. Law causes us to to minimize our responsibility and maximize what we're trying to get away with. But love changes that. So we maximize what our responsibility, we maximize our service and we we minimize what we try to get away with. And and we say, I don't I don't want to get away with anything. I, I want to love my wife because she's my wife. I want to love my God because he's my God. And and that's why this new covenant, Hebrews chapter eight, is a law that's written on our hearts. And yes, there's obligation and responsibility, far greater responsibility because we're under a better covenant with better promises, but it's one of of a law of liberty. It's one that's a law of love rather than a law that's written on stone tablets. You know, and we mentioned this before we started the actual discussion, but uh, the back in Proverbs chapter 1, when it says uh, the beginning of, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and talking about love and, and whatnot, sometimes we we want to focus on one or both, one or the other of these. We we don't ever really feel comfortable with considering both of these being something that we do at the same time. But at the same, but but really, what it's saying is the fear of the Lord specifically is a beginning. We we come to understand, we come to follow God, we come to interact with God, and in, in, to a certain degree, out of fear, because we recognize there's judgment uh, many times. Um, not anyway. <sighs> But we, we come to understand that, there, that there's judgment, and our fear of the Lord kind of motivates us to get moving. And throughout our lives, then, as we grow and understand that that fear should continue, but at the same time, we don't that doesn't continue to be the motivation for moving forward. Love is the thing that continues to move us forward because I love God. He, my fear of the Lord should be, become a fear of losing the Lord, mm-hmm. should become a fear of... I, I would lose this wonderful, glorious, amazing God who loves me so much that he's done so much for me. He has built up my life, my my spirit, uh, my relationships with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and has done so many things for me that I cannot help but love him in return. And if there's any fear, it's it's a fear of, to a certain degree, a fear of loss, rather than a a fear of what he will do to me. I would even say that we're mistaken in thinking that love and fear are at odds with each other. Because they they can mutually exist toward the same person, always toward a positive outcome. And all we have to do is consider, uh, for those of us in this room, ourselves as fathers. Amen. What we intend to do with our children is 
instill love and fear in them Mm -hmm. simultaneously. Uh, One of my brothers made probably one of the best analogies to our relationship with God through fatherhood that I can recall, whereas if you are in trouble, there is no person you fear more than your father. And when you are in trouble, there is no person you want with you more than your father. He is the great protector. He is also the great lawgiver. He, he is everything simultaneously. And these things exist in our children's minds simultaneously. And, and in truth, part of their understanding of our love for them stems from their understanding of their necessary fear of us. And it doesn't diminish one or the other. A greater love doesn't diminish the fear and the respect, and the greater fear and respect doesn't diminish the love if we're doing what we uh, are supposed to be doing as godly fathers. And so for, for us to try and conceive of this idea that, well, as we mature, we differently understand, and this and that and the other, nonsense. I, I look at John, who was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and when Jesus came again, he fell down in fear of Jesus. And that didn't mean he didn't understand Jesus's love or his mercy. It just means we understand God and Jesus for who they are mm-hmm. and the spirit for who they are and those things exist simultaneously. And I'm I'm thinking of 1 John chapter 4 um, which is which says cuz I'm sure somebody else is going to be thinking of this too but it says uh, there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And I think I think one of the things is that we we use fear in different ways, just like we use love in different ways. And so I think that there is there is a healthy fear of God that we always should maintain, like you're saying, um, that that keeps us from sin, that that keeps us from you know we we fear our Father, and so we don't we're and we're afraid not just of losing them. I mean, I'm not I'm not afraid I'm not afraid of losing my dad's. I mean, I guess it's possible that I could so sin that my father disowns me, um, and I know that's possible with God that I I could be disowned by God if I if I fell away from Him, but. As a Christian, I'm not afraid of of losing his love. I'm not afraid of not being his child, but I am afraid of disappointing him. I mean that 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 bothers me, and I think that that's the kind of love and fear that we we get to the point where it's like I'm not I'm not afraid of judgment. I'm not afraid of condemnation because I know that I'm in Christ Jesus, and I have every intention um, of abiding in Christ Jesus. I I have nowhere else to turn. I, as, as Peter said, "You have the words of eternal life. Where else would I go? Uh, I'm here. Why would I go anywhere else? So I don't have any 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 fear that I will be condemned. But I do have fear that I will disappoint my father, and and I know that I'll be forgiven. Uh, but but even even that, I don't I don't want to disappoint him. I don't I don't want him to have to forgive me for anything. I I, I want to to not need his forgiveness. I want to I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. I want to I want to hear that at the end of the day. I want to know that that I I hit the mark today. That I made my father proud today. And um, you know and I know that so often I don't. And and I and I fear that I not. Again, not because I'm afraid he's going to send me to hell. And I, and I, I think that we, we often have these conversations in a very unhealthy way because we don't, we don't promote that amongst brethren. We don't promote getting to the point where we, we fear his disappointment. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like how we worship. You know, somebody say, well, you know, if you introduce something that isn't authorized into the worship assembly where well, you're going to hell, you know, it's like, well— Wait a second. I don't know that. I mean, I don't know that if we started juggling in worship that we would go to hell. But, 
but I, I don't think that God would be pleased, and I, I think he would be disappointed in us that we turned the time of worship into entertainment and, and, and secular, carnal pleasures. I, I, that would disappoint him, I think. But we want God to be entirely binary. Mm-hmm. He is either wrathful punishment yes. or loving everything. Yes. And that's it. Mm-hmm. He is either pleased or angry. Mm-hmm. And we have no consideration for, while at the same time very well worshiping our own feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the world today falls down on its face in front of your own emotions and all the gray areas of things that you can feel for all manner of different reasons. And we give no consideration whatsoever to God's feelings, mm-hmm. the person who created our ability to feel these ways. We don't give any consideration to when he is not motivated to punishment, but he is sad. He is disappointed. We don't consider, I mean, like when we were talking about Noah's Ark, we don't consider how sad God was for having to do what he had to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have any consideration for how frustrated it must, frustrating it must be for him to look down at us and say, come on, why won't you try just a little bit harder? Mm-hmm. Why won't you recognize what I've done? Mm-hmm. And yet, we can feel so sorry for ourselves. Oh my goodness, can we feel sorry for ourselves when someone doesn't consider every possible aspect of our feelings, and yet God has to remain entirely binary. He is mm-hmm. either a one or a zero, and that is it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Well, if I am not so disappointing to God that he will then punish me, then he just needs to deal with it. It's our attitude when it comes to worship, when it comes to Christian living, and I will stop ranting. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so so if, if I reason with my brother and I say, brother, I, I don't think that this is pleasing. I don't think that this is pleasing to God. And and, and then he says, well, is God really going to send me to hell for it? Well, I don't I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I don't have any idea. He didn't he didn't say anything about that. But because he didn't say anything about that, I think we can conclude that he's not pleased by it. So why would you do it? And they say, well, if he's not going to send me to hell, I might as well just like you said. I'm just going to do it. And it's like th- that's the worst kind of consideration for anybody in a relationship that I could possibly imagine. It would be like if if I said, well, my wife's not going to divorce me because I spent a little extra money this month, so I'm gonna, just going to do it. It's like then you don't love your wife, you know, and, and that's what it comes down to. And, and that's why these things are so often symptoms of a deeper spiritual problem. It, it's not that juggling in worship is the problem. It's the, the heart that prompts this kind of thing, this, the, the heart that prompts the, I don't care, as long as God's not going to send me to hell, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's, that's a heart that, that isn't connected with the Lord. You know, I just listening to all this, just, you know, talking about being fathers, it's just you sometimes you look at your children and wish that they understood why you were trying to teach them what you're trying to teach them and and why and then here we are adults and and if we would stop and say okay as a father i have this problem with my child okay that's the problem that god has with me Mm -hmm. i am a child to god not just in a metaphorical sense in an actual sense, God is so far above me. His ways are so far set above my ways that that I am like an like a toddler almost. Like I, I am, I am not even not even a juvenile most of the time in His presence. I am more like a toddler with at least some ability to reason and decide for myself. I want to touch that, and He's <laughs> going to strike my hand and say, "No, that's not good for you." But but beside that, I mean, it's just thinking about that with my son. I love. 
talking with him because he's latched on to the wise man, foolish man, and talking to him about that just teaches me so much. When I talk to him and he's he's struggling, let me rephrase that, when he's being disobedient, he chooses not to obey. And I say, son, happy is the is the one who chooses to obey his father because he will be pleasing and he will not have anything to fear from his father. It, all he will have is pleasure from his father and happiness. And that's, you know, and that's, why is it that we struggle with that as adults? <laughs> when we see, I struggle with things because I am holding on to them. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe putting fences around them so that I can stay within the fence instead of staying out of it. I want to hold on to these things and rather than please him and love him with all my heart and and fear him and and do his bidding, I want to latch on to things and say, well, God, I, I want to be pleasing to you, but I want this too. I, I want to be pleasing to you, but I want this too. So you cannot have both. You cannot love God and love your desires. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElgay, who helps make this show possible. If you enjoyed the Crosstalk podcast, please consider sharing it with others and leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. <laughs>